Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me besides the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, good morning, y'all. It's good to be back with you. I'm here to create some normalcy again after the chaos that Brother Gordon creates whenever he comes. Uh, I just want to thank uh, Joe for the reading uh, this morning. It was awesome. And if you haven't uh, already figured out, we are starting a new series today um, on the 23rd Psalm, where the goal is to go kind of line by line through that psalm and look at the insights uh, and the beauty and the inspiration of the words that uh, David wrote uh, in that psalm. Uh, But before I get into that psalm, I'd like to do a reading from one of the great modern-day psalmists, Dr. Seuss, who has written a passage called Yertle the Turtle. On the faraway island of Salamisand, Yertle the turtle was king of the pond. It was a nice little pond. It was clean. It was neat. The water was warm. There was plenty to eat. The turtles had everything turtles might need, and they were all happy, quite happy indeed. They were until Yertle, the king of them all, decided the kingdom he ruled was too small. I'm ruler, said Yertle, of all that I see, but I don't see enough. That's the trouble with me. This throne that I sit on is too, too low down. I cannot look down on the places beyond. It ought to be higher, he said with a frown. If I could sit high, how much greater I'd be. What a king. I'd be ruler of all that I see. And Yertle, the turtle king, gave a command. He ordered nine turtles to swim to his stone, and using these turtles, he built a new throne. He made each turtle stand on another one's back, and he piled them all up in a nine-turtle stack. And then Yertle climbed up, and he sat down on the pile. What a wonderful view. He could see most a mile. All mine, Yertle cried. Oh, the things I now rule. Now, I'm the king of a cow. I'm the king of a mule. I'm the king of a house. And what's more beyond that, I'm the king of a blueberry bush and a cat. I'm Yertle the turtle. Oh, marvelous me, for I am the ruler of all that I see. Isn't that beautiful? So, what began... As a nice life for all these turtles. They were all living together harmoniously. 
in this nice pond. The water was warm. There was plenty of food. Life was good. That is, until old Yertle wanted something more. Right? He, he, he wanted what he wanted, and what he had wasn't enough for him. He wanted more. He got greedy, and he lost all perspective. If we're honest about it, we got us a little yertle in all of us, don't we? We want something more, something we don't have. We're not content. Let me just tell you the insane reality of our situation. Okay? Here it is. In comparison to the entire rest of the world, if you make $30,000 a year, you are in the top 5% of the richest people in the world. Is that not crazy? We are among some of the wealthiest people in the world. Now, when you think about it from that perspective, and we compare ourselves to the entire rest of the 95% of the population, we should be the most contented people on the planet. Shouldn't we? We don't look at it that way, do we? Mm -mm. What do we do? We compare ourselves with the 1%. We compare ourselves to the richest of the rich. And we say, I want what they have. Without even knowing it, we fall into the grass is greener syndrome. We put our hands up on the fence and put our chin down and we gaze on the pasture next door and it looks so beautiful and green and we sigh and we say, if I could just have what they have. If I could just keep up with them, everything would be okay. Some of us are bitter because we had it once. We had good money. And somewhere down the line, in most instances in our generation, in the Great Recession, the downturn, we lost it. We lost the equity in our home. We lost our investments. And now we can't seem to accept the new normal of where we're at today because we can't get past what we once had. And man, does it make us... uh, It haunts us to the point that we are never at peace. We never have real joy. And it continues to eat on us, to eat away at us because we just can't get past what we lost. Still others of us want what we've never had. We don't know what that looks like. We've never really experienced wealth, but we see it all around us, right? We see it on the TV. We see it in houses that we drive by or cars, and we think, if I could just get that thing, or if I could just make a certain amount of money, then I could just chill out, be happy, live large, But we can never say, I shall not want. Because the truth is, I do. I do want. 
Maybe the problem is not that we have too much desire for the things of this world, but could it be just maybe? The thing of it is that we have too little desire for the things that have real meaning. That stuff that, granted, isn't so sexy or exciting. And so we find ourselves always looking for something more, something different. When I believe that the truth is this, it is the simple things in this life that have no price tag that are the things that bring us true contentment and cause our hearts to overflow with a sense of joy. The psalmist describes it like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Certainly one of the most beautiful and most quoted verses in the Bible. Throughout history, the 23rd Psalm has been used to calm racing hearts, regardless of rich or poor. It has provided courage to those who are facing the worst of situations. It's given peace to those who are facing the great unknown. It has comforted those who are experiencing the pain of grief or loss. And for many, the words of this psalm are the last words that they will ever utter in their life. In fact, I have a vivid memory of sitting on the floor next to my mother's bed, and I read her this psalm as she passed from this life to the next. Psalm 23 is remarkable because in its simplicity, we find inspiration and hope, and more importantly, strength of faith. It's like this is the prayer that we say when we know we're not going to be able to get it done on our own. King David, who wrote the Psalms, worked as a shepherd growing up, and so he knew what it means to be a shepherd. The incredible responsibility that it brings to care for his flock, making sure his sheep are protected and nourished and contented at all times. In other words, the shepherd provides for their every need, which is the reason why David loved describing God as the great shepherd of our lives. Now when you hear those famous words, the Lord is my shepherd, you know. It means that my God provides all that I need to the point that I am provided for. It means that I can have everything I need if I can just allow God to be the shepherd of my life. I may not have everything the world tempts me with. I may not have great wealth. But I shall not want. When you say those words, I shall not want, all of a sudden, you get freed up. Because what you are doing is declaring that I will not let myself be controlled by envy or jealousy. I will not let myself be controlled by the stuff of this world. I will not allow my life to be dictated by the grass is greener syndrome or needing to keep up with the Joneses. 
Always wanting more is a miserable way to live, but the truth of the matter is, it's a way of life for most of us. The Apostle Paul says something in Philippians 4 that has resonated with me in my older years. He says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I may find myself. I know what it feels like to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret to being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength, because my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I shall not want believes that I can be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. I shall not want believes that I have enough. I shall not want believes that no matter how bad it gets, my God will get my back and meet my needs. I believe that becoming a person who is content with what we have is the secret that we've all been looking for to a life of abundance and joy. This this is the missing piece for most of us, that we can find contentment in any circumstance that we find ourselves. This is the key. I also believe that in order to become a contented person, there has to be a shift that occurs inside of us where we begin to desire the stuff of God more than we desire the superficial stuff of this world. And Jesus says that this shift occurs when you finally embrace that you will not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there. There will your heart be also. In other words, wherever I invest myself, my time, my money, my priorities, whatever it is that I am invested in in my life, that's where my heart is. That's what makes me tick. And the issue for a lot of us is that somehow we've been led to believe that we should put our faith in that which we can see and touch, the tangible stuff of this world, because it's a whole lot safer than putting our faith in that which is unseen. I mean, what good is faith when you're trying to get the bills paid, right? But Jesus said, why would you invest in the stuff of this world when it is all eventually going to come to an end. It's all so fragile and temporary. Why wouldn't you put everything, why wouldn't you go all in to the stuff that lasts beyond this life? There's a reason why the Bible talks about money so much, and the Bible talks about it a lot. And it's because nothing, nothing jacks us up more than the pursuit of money. And the Bible talks about money so much, not because God needs your money. This is where the idea of giving comes in. 
This is something that was designed by God. Right? Not by me or the church or nobody's trying to get your money. The offering time that we have every Sunday morning is a place where we can keep our heart in check. It's a constant reminder that everything that we work so hard for will not last and in the end will have no value. Giving is the weekly practice of letting go of the stuff that will not last. Every time we give our offering, whether it's the form of of cash or, or check or online giving or dang app, we are letting go of another little piece of this world. It helps us to let go of the things that seem so important to us now and prepare us for the eventual reality that there will come a day when we'll have to let all that stuff go. There will come a day when we all end up in the same place. And we ain't taking none of that down with us. The truth is that more, the more we are able to let go of this world, the more capacity that we have to fill our lives up with the stuff of God. The more we give away, the more freed up that we are to grow spiritually and live the life that God has designed us to live because we are no longer entangled by the stuff of this world. Believe it or not, as we grow in our relationship with God, we actually grow in our desire to give because giving is a condition of where we're at spiritually, not economically. So we may be broke and we still give. We may be going through the downturn and we give faithfully through it because it's not a condition of where we are economically. It's a condition of where our heart is because those are the moments that we understand what really matters in this world. And that's why we are adamant, adamant, when we say that if your life has not been radically changed by Jesus Christ, if you haven't experienced the grace of God, if you don't want to live for Jesus, then don't give. We don't want your money. We would Rather you not give at all than give for the wrong reasons because the offering time is not about the money. It is about our hearts. But the opposite is also true. If you're in a relationship with God and you're not giving in a way that is meaningful for you as we talked about a couple weeks ago, then I would challenge your perspective and just say this is very much a part of the Christian life. Ask yourself, are you holding on too tight to the wrong stuff? That's why the Bible says that we are to be cheerful givers because when we give, we understand that we're giving out of a sense of gratitude for what God has done for us, his forgiveness, his grace, and we get what's important and so we're willing to let go of another little piece of this world so that we can grow just a little bit stronger in our faith until we can finally stand up and say, I shall not want. Now, I'm not going to sit up here and act like I'm all that, and I got it all figured out and have this thing handled, because like anything else that I speak on, I don't. There are many times when I lose perspective, and in my business, there is a constant drive for more. 
and I have to fight and I have to scrape to keep a proper perspective about money and giving, and it is a daily struggle to maintain the perspective that keeps me personally living a life of generosity. But when you're doing it, you see opportunities around you all the time. It was very ironic because this last week I was writing this message on my flight to Houston. And I was sitting in a middle seat. And by the way, I was really ticked because I wanted more. I wanted first class. And I was mad. And I'm sitting next to an elderly gentleman who was talking to the flight attendant about how hungry he was and how he wanted a burger. And so he told the stewardess that he wanted a burger right up into the point that he found out that a microwave burger on a plane costs $11. And he's like, oh, I can't afford that. And you could just see he like sunk down in his seat. Now I'm completely annoyed by the situation because I feel like God has presented this little lesson while I'm sitting here writing about generosity and I know I can afford to buy this guy a burger, right? So I reach over, I hand my credit card to the flight attendant, and I buy my brother probably the worst burger he's ever eaten in his life. But you'd have thought I had just paid off his mortgage. I mean, this guy was smiling ear to ear. He was so happy and grateful. And for the rest of the flight, he was thanking me, chatting me up to the point that I knew I was not going to be able to work on my sermon anymore for the rest of the flight. But... When you are living with a different perspective, eyes wide open, hand wide open, it changes the way that you perceive everything around you. It changes the way that you react to simple, everyday, little situations. And you begin to live generously in everything that you do because you see and you're willing to just let go of a little more. And I'm not saying that we should live irresponsibly financially. I'm not suggesting that. But I am saying that we have more capacity to be generous than we probably are. I know I do. And when we live like that, it won't make sense, by the way, to anybody else. They'll go, you're just completely crazy, giving away your money like that. But in your heart, you know, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall live generously. I shall live differently. Generous living is all about getting freed up from the stuff of this world so that we can live freely in the life that God designed us to live. That we can live with meaning and purpose and invest our lives in the stuff that's real. Well, I am sure that most of you have already figured out that it didn't end well for old Yertle the turtle, king of all Salmasand. For he got so greedy and built up so high that he eventually fell off his high throne and fell plunk into the pond. And now, they say, the great Yertle, that marvelous he, is now king of the mud, because now that's all he can see. And the turtles, of course, all the turtles are free, as the turtles and maybe all creatures should be. I believe that we should be freed up from envy and wanting more, and that we can live a different life. And there really is a little yurtle, the turtle, in all of us, if we're honest about it. 
where we get our eyes set on wanting more. And the truth is, when you start into that pattern of wanting more, it will never be enough. And when it's never enough, it never ends well. Jesus tells the story of, I'll call him Yertle the farmer, who had so much success. He had such an incredible year that he had to tear down his small little barns to build big barns so that he could store all of his grain and crops. <coughs> he worked all of his life to get to this point for this moment where he finally made it. And he sits back, he collects his riches, and he says, now, now you have a good life. Now sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy the rest of your life because you earned it, you deserve it. But that very day that he made it, God shows up. God says, you fool. You have worked all your life to get to this moment. And now, in this moment, you will die. This will be your last night on earth. And now, what has your life been all about? And Jesus said, so it is with anyone who lays up treasure for himself here on earth and is not rich toward God. What are you invested in? What is your life about? What are you holding on to so tightly that you just have the death grip on it? What would you be clinging to if you knew that this night would be your last? How would you live differently? I've learned the secret of life is to be content with what I have and not be enamored with what I don't. Hold loosely to the stuff of this world, but hold on tight. Tight as can be to the stuff of God. When we can finally say, the Lord is my shepherd, we find a whole new way of life where we can let go of the things that we've been so attached to in this world, and we can cheerfully exchange those things for the stuff of God. And when that happens, all of a sudden we find ourselves in a truly unique place that we have never, ever been before where we are freed up to the point that we can honestly say, I shall not want.